Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are finishing our series in Philippians, and this one's called Joy, a reprise. The question for you all to get started with today is, what's your favorite Thanksgiving memory? Enjoy. in our final week in our series in Philippians on joy, and everyone went, no, you're supposed to say, ah, you're supposed to say, yeah, you guys failed the test, that's right. You know, before I get going, I think there's just something that, like, I want to acknowledge that I feel inside of myself, uh, and that's that Brittany and I have a, a beautiful friendship, and we love hanging out, and little old me. Uh, and we talk about all the time that we're just so grateful for our lives. We're so grateful that we've been entrusted to pastor this community. Uh, and it's a really beautiful thing that we get to do it together. Uh, there are so many times just throughout the weeks, um, through good times and bad times, that we get to just share things with one another. And it's just a, a massive privilege. And so as I think about that and that we're, we're preaching together, we haven't preached together in a while, uh, it's a gift. And, and I'm very thankful for you. I'm very serious about that. I feel like emotional just you standing up here. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. And part of that is what we're talking about today is vulnerability. And the vulnerability is this giving and receiving, and it's a mutuality. I had this moment about a year ago where I was sitting in my therapist's office, and I said to my therapist, I'm great at vulnerability. He's like, no, you're good at self-disclosure. <laughs> and those are not the same things. I am good at self-disclosure. In fact, I'm great at self-disclosure on a stage. That's easy for me. I'll tell you my deepest, darkest secrets from up here. But vulnerability is my capacity to need other people, and I am awful at it. Uh, Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Really appreciate that. The exits are all that way. Uh, And there are people in my life, like my wife and Brittany, who, who really know me and who seek after me because they know how bad I am at it, and I'm very thankful for that. And as we're getting to the end of the book of Philippians here, uh, I think we're going to bring this together about our deep need for one another. And I think that's the beauty of this community. And 2,000 years ago, Paul is saying these words, and it's even more true today, that we live in a city like Los Angeles, where there's a million things going on, uh, and a lot of times we're in rooms uh, that are crowded with people, but we feel so isolated and alone. Uh, And so we're going to get to this place of gratitude and our deep need for vulnerability in one another. So to do that, we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about kids versus adults because kids are just better at some things. And then we're going to talk about God. And if we can talk about God, then we're going to talk about humans. And if we can talk about humans, then we're going to talk about the winding trail that happens in the book of Philippians. And then once we move from the winding trail, we're going to talk about receiving. And if we can talk about what receiving is, then of course we're going to talk about acting. And if we can really understand acting, then of course we're going to get to gratitude, my friends. So... Uh, I have a four-year-old son, Bryce. Many of you know him. He's my middle. Uh, you probably heard him because he's roaring like a dinosaur around here. Uh, and Bryce is amazing because Bryce has this amazing level of emotional intelligence where he knows how to ask for exactly what he needs. You are never guessing for what Bryce needs. He'd be like, Dad, tickle me. Tickle me right here in this armpit. <laughs> right? Or any of his needs, he's like, can you fill my water bottle up? Can you make my water bottle just a little bit colder? I'm like, this is not the four seasons, son. You know, (laughs) press two for bellhop, I don't think so. But he's beautiful at identifying his needs all of the time. 
You're not guessing. And that's so important when it comes to vulnerability. Because as adults, we start to play these guessing games with one another. Right? Some of you have been married long enough, you know. Oh, you didn't know that I was feeling that? Yeah. Oh, there's already some. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. You didn't know that I needed this for you for the last two weeks? You haven't said a thing to me. Oh, well, maybe that should have been a, you know, a cue for you to know more about what I need. <laughs> right? It's stressful as adults in these worlds that we're guessing all the time that everyone else knows exactly what we need. And I say this in premarital to couples all the time. An uncommunicated expectation is called the resentment. And when my four-year-old Bryce says things, he doesn't have, oh, uh, come on, give me some mm, That was nice. That was nice. My four-year-old doesn't have any resentments because he tells you his needs right away. And I think that that's something that we have to work on and strive for as human beings to get to because it's incredibly difficult. So with that, follow along with me in Philippians chapter 4. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. How many of you have been there? Right? Somebody stepped up with a little bit of cash, and it made all of the difference in the world. It's no wonder that what Paul is talking about throughout this entire book is that he's sitting in prison, and he's suffering, and the whole time he's talking about joy, and at the very end you get to it, it was incredibly practical how this group of Philippians, this church, was taking care of him. They were Venmoing, right? And it made all of the difference in the world. And what we'll see is that Paul was able and mature enough and transformed enough to be able to share his needs and for somebody else to be able to receive that. That's why we do this at New Abbey, where we say, if you're going to give here because you have something to give, would you do that? And if you need something, would you just ask? There's a reason that this week someone's like, I need $50 for therapy. I need $350 for my car. I need this money for rent. Because you need. And isn't it better to ask for 50 bucks than to be stressed out for an entire week? And sometimes our needs are so simple. And for many in this room, $350 is so much more than you have in your bank account. And for other people, it's like, oh, I would gladly give that up if I just knew that you needed it. And that we can be that for one another is a gift that doesn't have to be all of these guessing games about how we can care for each other. Sometimes it's just incredibly simple and practical. It can be, I'm hurting inside. Can I get a hug? If you guys don't know Jess Garcia, where's Jess? Get a hug from her, all right? It is a gift from the Lord. I say this all the time. Or my wife, if you met my wife, I say all the time, best hugs in the world. I say, what it took me 10 years to learn theologically, she will do for you in one hug, people. Um, And it's a beautiful thing. We just need to ask for what we need. So no other church did this. Even though I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I didn't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more, and I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with E. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from God's glorious riches, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send your greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So I want to do a quick review of what's happening in the book of Philippians. 
Paul's trying to do two very important things. First, he's trying to give you a new understanding of who God is, and then he's trying to give you a better understanding of what it means to be a human being. What he's trying to give you a better understanding of what God is to say this. There are two major gods in the Roman world. One, there are the gods. There's thousands of gods out there in Greek and Roman society. And we've talked about this in weeks past. The problem with all of those other gods is you never knew where you stood with those gods. You were constantly anxious. You were constantly worried. It was a dog-eat-dog world where if you didn't pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you weren't sure if you would survive. Not much has changed, I guess. And so many of us live with anxiety in an expensive town like Los Angeles because we just don't know if we're going to make it to next week. We're uncertain if we're going to be able to pay our bills next month. We're unsure if the friends who we keep texting are going to text us the week that we're sick and that we need some emotional care. And we feel alone, right? And a lot of that is that we live in this dog-eat-dog world where because of the gods of the culture, so to speak, what Paul is kind of comparing to, is a lot of times we're just always thinking about ourselves. The other god of Paul's day was Caesar. And Caesar does everything through violence and power and force. That Caesar promotes a gospel of peace, but really that gospel of peace came because of coercion. It came because of manipulation. It's a relationship that you don't have any choice but to agree to. And there's so much of that reality in our world. There's so much of systems, whether we want to or not, we have to play a part of them. And so Paul is saying, name these other gods. Name how they don't work for your life. And now let me tell you a better way, my friends. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me tell you about this good news. We're no longer in the kingdoms of Caesar and the other gods. You may not be worth anything because in this kingdom, there is no male and there is no female. There is no Jew and there is no Greek. There is no master and there is no slave. That you as a human being are already good enough. And that radically changed the world. It wasn't a gospel message that one day when you die, you'll go to heaven. It was a gospel message that in this kingdom, in this reality, right now, in this space, you are already made in the image of God. And if you could just believe that, imagine how that would change the trajectory of your life. No longer believing that you have to be anxious. No longer believing that you have to be depressed. No longer believing that it's dog eat dog and that if you don't figure out, then I guess you're screwed. But what if there's a generous God who that when you take a million away from infinity, there's still infinity, who is there for you and pouring out into you and will always name your needs? And what if there's a generous community of these people that could live in the same way? That if we so believe that this is how our God took care of us, not the gods like Caesar and the other gods of the Roman world, but this God is so generous, what if we could be generous to each other? Now that's a beautiful story. And we forget that all of the time. So Paul says, if this God can be different, then imagine how you could be different as human beings. Imagine that if this God was this way, and this is what Paul talks about all throughout Philippians, if this God was truly powerless, if this God was truly out there to empower you, then you would want to pray. You would want to scream out to this God and say, I have needs and I can't figure this out. And how many of us have so deconstructed that we're scared to even say, God, I have nothing left. And what if Paul's saying, hey, I agree with you. That God over there about who's going to heaven and who's going to hell and who's in and who's out and, you know, did they memorize tulip or not? Awful. Um, is not the God that we're talking about here. We all agree that's not a good God. 
Let's talk about a God that's way more interesting, one that's filled with generosity and grace and forgiveness. And that if you can reach out to this God because you have needs, then imagine how you can begin this process of giving and receiving with one another. Imagine how you can live into this deep life of vulnerability. Imagine if you could say to the other people in your life, because you're having a bad week, for the love of God, tickle me here. (laughs) It would make me feel so much better. And at times I think we feel silly. And so that's why we go and ask one another. We feel embarrassed or we feel shame and we feel like, oh, no one really cares about that. Maybe they do. Have you given it a chance? And maybe that we can learn a new and better way with one another because of who this God is and because of who we can be as human beings, that we can practice a different kind of vulnerability. And so we say in here all of the time that we're a rowboat and not a cruise ship. In a cruise ship, there's a few captains at the top, and they're directing where everything's going, and you know, you're just hoping to be entertained. Lasers, light shows, fog machines, cue. But in this story, it's that we're all together in this thing, and that it's all about our effort of what we put in. It's all about the giving and the receiving. That there are some of you in this room that how you're rowing is you have something to give because you feel like for the first time in your life, you can be seen at church. How is that a shocker, right? And there's others of you who are in here for the first time, and because you can be seen at church, you finally have permission just to lay on the deck of the boat and say, I don't have anything left. And would you trust that other people are going to row for you? One of the things I'm most proud of our community is how we've handled money, and I have so many stories throughout the years of how people showed up. I remember at a time early on in New Abbey, we're meeting next door in Jones Coffee. We had like $4,000 left in our bank account. I'm like, we're going to make payroll maybe a couple more months. Do the math. That's not a lot of money. Um, And someone started coming for six weeks, and they just gave $1,500 a week. And then I never saw them again. You're like, what was that? And come on back. (laughs) I like you. I'll remember a moment where we were getting ready to hire Brittany. And there was a a key leader in the church who we've been affirming from day one. But they said, you know, now that it's time to actually have a gay pastor here, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can have a gay pastor teach my kids. And his family was so gracious. They had this conversation for six months. And they finally got to this point where they said, I feel like you're choosing her over us. And I said, no, but I will never acquiesce from the vision of God that every person is made equal. And if we go bankrupt because of that, then it's worth it. And we thought that because this family's gifts were going to go away, that it was going to change the trajectory of our capacity to run this organization. And three days later, I remember getting an email in of a gift that was double what they gave. And I just sat in my kitchen crying. And I thought, hey, this thing's going bankrupt for all the right reasons. Praise God. Let's go out with it, baby. And then you get that email, and you're just like, man, what was that? And I have story after story after story of people in this community who gave quietly. I have stories of people who gave not only financially, but just showed up in people's lives. When Sissy had cancer, when Dave died, how Jack would come with soup. I have stories of Jess Garcia letting people sleep on her couch. We have this like amazing, like loyal lesbian small group, right? (laughs) where people get to show up and they get to say, oh my gosh, there's older people who are further down the road who have kids, who have a house. Could this actually be me? That I have story after story after story of people saying, I desperately need a therapist, but I don't have $400. And our board always says, yes, go to therapy, get transformed, get healed, mature in your life. Thank you for having the courage to ask. 
Because if no one knows that you need to be tickled here, you won't get tickled here. And that's the gift of God that we offer one another. So, <clears throat> Corey and I are like a Venn diagram. Most of our, who we are is opposite, but then we have this like, these weird overlaps, right? And one of those weird overlaps is how bad both of us are at knowing what we need. So, you can ask my wife, um, or I'll tell you a story about Corey a few, a little bit ago. We had a conversation on the phone, and Corey was like, I'm, I'm just having a tough time. And I was like, okay, this is one of my best friends. This is the person I love. This is someone who's very important in my life. And just had no idea how to show up for him. And was like, what do you need? And he said, I don't know. So I was like, okay. The next day, I wrote him an affirmation haiku. I was like, maybe he wants poetry. Um... <laughs> We wrote him a card. This has actually happened. Yeah, then the next day I was like, maybe I'll send him a card. Do you want me to bake you bread? We'll go out to sushi. Will sushi help, right? I'm just like going down the list of things um, because it felt like a mystery. And in that moment, I was like, my poor wife. Because every time I'm sort of going through it, Sammy's like, what do you need? What do you need? And I'm just like, uh. She's like, do you want space right now? Do you want me close? Do you want, and I'm like, oh, shoot, right? Um, and it's hard. It's really hard to know what you need. And then if I'm being honest, I think there's a part of my brain, which maybe this is a part of your brain too, that feels like if you have to ask for the thing, it will mean less when you get it, right? Which is just actually untrue. It means the same when you can name it and someone does it. My wife is very, very good at this. The other day we were driving and she was talking about something that she was feeling anxious about. And so I'm like saying all these things, like trying to like do like, and she's like, I just want you to say everything's going to be okay. And I was like, oh, okay. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> she was like, thank you. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it worked. It worked, right? I love it when you get a, um, like, someone is sick or someone has a baby or someone just moved or something, and then you get, like, an email to sign up for, like, a meal service. And the more specific, the better I feel about doing it, right? Like, I love when someone's like, can you bring me a meal? I'm allergic to gluten. I don't like dairy. Red meat only. Here are the places you can order from if you don't want to cook. And I'm like, yes, great. I will send a Postmates to your house. And I bet it means a lot to you, Right? because I didn't give you a quesadilla and not know you're lactose intolerant. You have to ask for what you want, and it actually means just as much when you get it. But that's a lie I think a lot of us have of like, I hope they know, I hope they notice that I always get no cheese when we go out to lunch. <laughs> if they didn't pick up on that very subtle clue three months ago, they're gonna deliver me a meal that I can't even eat instead of taking the time to just say, I'm lactose intolerant. And I actually am if anyone brings a meal to our house. Okay, so. <laughs> but here's the thing. It means so much. I think we all know what it feels like to show up for someone and how that makes you feel, right? Our, we had friends recently who came out to their parents um, and it did not go well. Um, it was incredibly devastating and so hard to watch and be a part of. And we just remember how scary it is to come out and remember all these feelings. And so we just said, here's our 
card, go out to dinner wherever you want. Or here's, let's give them a card. And just showing up for them was just, was so meaningful to us, right? Um, but the reverse is more uncomfortable. Even though we so desperately want people to show up for us, sometimes when they do, that vulnerability is frightening. And it feels almost guilty or shameful for someone else to say, I want to lose so you can have more. I want to sacrifice so that you can live more free. I want to show up. I want to give my time, my energy, my money, my resources, whatever it is for you. That's incredibly humbling. And even though we need people to show up and we want people to show up, when they do, it's really scary. And it's a feeling, it, it's, it's very uncomfortable for me, which is probably why I don't say a lot of things I need, which is probably why I'm doing live therapy on the stage. Um, just fit, put that together. Sammy and I talk about it all the time. We, when, we were, when we came out, the church that we were part of, it, it wasn't affirming. All of our friends went there, and our friends had so many friends, and our friends loved that church, and everybody loved that church, and it was a great church. And I remember not even saying out loud, like, after we'd come out and we had these hard conversations with the pastors and things hadn't gone well, like, in our heads, we were like, I wish our friends would just be like, F this place, right? I'm leaving. But, like, we never said that. And we're like, yeah, we'll walk in the underneath. And then we had one friend who was like, the minute we told her, she was like, F this place. And we were like, yeah? Yeah. Uh -oh. yeah. No, yeah, F this place, right? But it was incredibly difficult because we felt so loved in that moment for this family to say, we are willing to not go to this church that we love, that we have friends at, that we have roots in, that we've made a home in because we want to stand up for you. We are going to lose so that we can, you can win. We are going to sacrifice. We are going to give up because we believe in you was so uncomfortable and wonderful and vulnerable and hard and great. And when people show up for you, it gets that complicated. But I think those are the kind of emotions that we need to understand, that we need to tap into, and that we need to allow each other to experience if we want to have this full, rich experience of what it means to be human. We have to put ourselves in that vulnerable position, and we have to sit with it. And then we have to realize that there's a, there's, we're worth it. It's okay if someone sacrifices for you. You're worth that. It's okay to let people do that. And the joy that you get when you get to stand up for someone, don't rob someone of that because you don't want to put yourself in the vulnerable position. You have to. It's a weird part of life that is so wonderful and hard. So I, uh, this week, we had an event um, here. We're talking about body image um, and everyone's favorite topic. Yeah, who loves trying on bathing suits? Okay. So, um, anyways, we had this conversation, a <laughs> weird side, side track, and uh, one of the people on the panel was talking about, uh, we, we were having, talking about compliments, right? different ways to give compliments and how do we keep things maybe just not on bodies and physical appearance, and she was saying that in an acting class she learned this method of, of talking um, and trying to say what she was feeling in her body, not what she was thinking in her mind. And that complimenting people out of that space became incredibly meaningful. Um, so we have these experiences sometimes where we, where we feel extreme gratitude. And how do we translate that into how we show that gratitude to people? And what she said really struck me. Because while I look at Corey and I'm like, he's one of my best friends. Doesn't he look so great in a vest? Everyone said, yeah. 
They're like, I like your haircut, which I do all the time, which I love doing. I'm just like, yes, pants, yes, shirt, okay, bald heads, I love it, right? Um, but she said, I think it's more meaningful when we tell people how they made us feel. So while I love telling Corey how great he looks in white shoes and a vest, it takes more vulnerability, but the true, real reality of our relationship is I get to say, you make me feel so confident. You have brought confidence out in me when we are together, I feel unstoppable. And I know, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> he hates hugs, I make him do it every time. Or to tell someone, like, you, you made me feel seen, right? Not just thanks for the money or thanks for this. Like, you made me feel at ease. I felt light. When you were around me, I felt peaceful. That thing you did for me made me feel strong enough to make it. I feel X, Y, Z, you fill in the blank. I think sharing in that gratitude and getting in touch with what that actually made us feel helps us along this journey, this winding road. That's the beautiful thing about Philippians. Paul is ending by saying, literally, thanks for sending me money in prison. It made me feel grateful to be a part of this community. What a special thing. That doesn't mean everything's great. All these things we say this all the time. There's no magic formula. Life goes up and down. It wanders. Sometimes you will give. Sometimes you will receive. Sometimes you will be somewhere in the middle. And all throughout every opportunity we have for gratitude. To say thank you for that. It made me feel grateful, peaceful, at ease, confident, light, whatever it is. And so I love that Kevin um, earlier just already preached the sermon and then we did it again. But what we're going to do right now is take some time as a thank you card on your chair. Um, if you did not get a thank you card on your chair, it doesn't mean anything about you. Just a miscalculation of the amount of cards will get you um, next week. Um, there's also some over here. We can figure it out. But there's a thank you card on your chair. So... What we want to do in this, this last few moments is I want you to think of someone who has showed up for you in your life. Someone who has showed up for you in your life in any way. And then I want us to write out a note of gratitude for the way that that made you feel. Who showed up for you and what did that make you feel? Thank you for that gift. Thank you for that meal. Thank you for the way you encouraged me when no one did. Thank you for when I came out to you and you showed me nothing but love. It made me feel whole. Whatever that is, we're just going to take a few minutes. You're going to have some time to write out that card. Uh, as you finish writing your notes, uh, I'm going to give you a chance to chat a bit again with the people around you. You're going to find three or four people around you and talk about this question, who has been there for you? You could share who you wrote the note to um, and what that experience is like. Enjoy, we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.